Welcome to Role Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 72 Spelljammer. Before we dive into this week's topic, I wanted to thank everyone who reached out over the past week to share their thoughts and experiences with Dungeons & Dragons 4th Edition. Overall, the responses were about as split as they've been over the years. I got a lot of notes from folks who love the system, still play it every week, and swear it's probably the best system Wizards of the Coast has ever produced. On the other hand, I got about an equal number of responses from folks who absolutely agreed with my assessments of how some folks felt about the game and system, and a few even noted that 4th edition is the reason they no longer play Dungeons & Dragons. So, 4th edition is still dividing the game world 14 years after its initial release. And other than a passing mention here and there, I don't anticipate getting back into that topic anytime soon. What we do need to do, though, is get the old tour bus cranked up and get into this week's topic, Spelljammer. Now, before I get started, I need to point out that I'm going to be jumping in and out of the timeline today because I want to hit everything in one part of the timeline before I move on to the next. So there's going to be a bit of different feel to the timing and pacing of this show this week. My hope is that it makes everything we're discussing make a little better sense. If not, well, you know where to hit me up to let me know I screwed it up, and you don't typically hesitate, which I appreciate. Spelljammer first introduced D&D players to Adventures in Space on November 1st, 1989, when the box set Spelljammer, a D&D Adventures in Space, was released. Spelljammer is the baby of Jeff Grubb, who came up with the idea of a space-based setting that allows for all of the various D&D campaign settings to be linked together somehow. In short, the ability to travel from the Forgotten Realms to Dragonlance to any other D&D setting is possible using the Spelljammer setting as the way to do it. And don't worry, I'll explain how that works a little bit later. As I mentioned, Spelljammer was a box set, and it included everything you'd need to run sessions in the Spelljammer setting. The lore book of the Void book goes into details explaining space travel, most commonly known ship types, spacefaring races, and monsters. The Concordance of Arcane Space gets into the nuts and bolts of fantasy combat, more spaceship rules, celestial mechanics, travel, and some variant rules for space itself. The box also had cardstock sheets with descriptions and deck plans for various ships, as well as counters for ship-to-ship combat. There were also rules and guidelines provided to help with space campaigns, and some setting material was also provided. In other words, this was, as I said, an all-in-one box for the new setting. Now, normally I'd get into setting when describing a box set or a setting itself, but we're going to break the setting down as a whole a bit later on, so we're going to leave this for then. I found a number of reviews of the box set. Some were positive, others weren't, but I'm going to get into one of those right here. James Wallace covered this in the January 1990 edition of Games International. His major complaint was inconsistencies in the combat rules. He said, quote, The cumulative effect of these inconsistencies is to make space combat unplayable. End quote. He did like the background, but again complained that there wasn't enough of it. Overall, he gave it a 2 out of 5 rating and said this, quote, Spelljammer may score well physically, but fails mentally. Scavenging AD&D players who enjoy stripping tasty ideas from the carcasses of dying games may find it of interest, but I cannot recommend it to anyone else. End quote. I was going to put another review in, but I realized the positive review I pulled was from Dragon Magazine, and as a TSR publication, well, (laughs) you know. However, if you check out fan forums on the net, you'll find a ton of players and fans giving positive reviews of the game, and this version is still being played somewhere in the world as we speak. 
Over time, 19 different supplements were produced for this version of Spelljammer. Two of them were appendixes for the Monstrous Compendium, but the rest were support materials and adventures. Now, normally I wouldn't get too deep into covering modules and other support materials, but with Spelljammer, the support materials are almost as revered as the main game itself, so let's dig into some of these. One of the first accessories was one that provided another region of space for Spelljammers to explore. Lost Ships was written by Ed Greenwood and released in 1990. Coming in at a beefy 96 pages, the section of space it outlined is one where derelict ships congregate, along with a variety of new and strange creatures. Lost Ships was very well received, as one would expect from an Ed Greenwood penned product, and sold quite well. Also in 1990, TSR had the idea to string together five different adventure modules to tell a long-reaching story. The first of these was Wild Space. Written by Alan Varney, Wild Space is almost a perfect start to a Spelljammer campaign, as it starts with the characters getting on board a skyship and launching off into space. The overall goal is to fight a monster that wants to eat their world. Hey, I've written stuff that sounds a whole lot hokier than that, and I can assure you the module is way more exciting than the synopsis I just gave you. Again, the adventure was well-reviewed, though a number of the reviewers hit on the world-eating monster theme. It didn't stop the fans, though, as they bought enough copies to justify the next adventure in the line. That one was Skull and Crossbones. Written by Nigel Findlay, this adventure was actually a series of shorter adventures linked together, and as the title suggests, involves space pirates. Well-reviewed and well-received, so the third adventure was greenlit. That third adventure was Crystal Spheres, which was written by J. Paul LaFountain. This go-around, the characters find themselves finding what's described as a unique ship called the Hummingbird. She's definitely different from any other ship they'd seen to this point. Her captain requests the character's help as he needs to save his home sphere from a particularly mysterious band known as the Talon. 1991 saw the release of the final two chapters in the story, Under the Dark Fist and Goblin's Return. By that point, the adventures were beginning to see a diminishing return, so the series ended at five modules. Again, as a whole, this series is very well reviewed. However, the final two entries weren't as well loved or received as the first three, which is partially why I didn't dive into them as deeply as I did on those other three. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that Spelljammer allowed for characters to move from one campaign setting to another. TSR decided to create and release materials that outlined how this might be done, and three different releases covered how to get to three of the most popular settings in the line. Realm Space was released in 1991, and it was the connection to the Forgotten Realms. Dale Slade Henson was tapped to write this release, and he detailed the area of space around the planet Toril, which is the home planet for the Forgotten Realms. You might also call it Toril. I've heard it said both ways. As a part of the book, Henson details the sun and the planets Anadia, Kalyar, Toril, Carpri, Chandros, Glyph, Garden, Hithkatha, and details on Elminster's hideout. In addition, a number of new magic items, monsters, and spell jamming ships were detailed in this release, providing a number of new options for DMs to bring into their spelljammer game. Greyhawk was the next campaign setting that got the spelljammer treatment. Grayspace, written by Nigel Findlay, was released in 1992. Findlay, much like Henson before him, detailed the area of space around the planet Orth, which is the home world of the Greyhawk setting. In addition to Orth, Findlay detailed Kjul, Ranier, Liga, The Grinder, Ediel, Nibile, Kanatha, Ginsel, Borka, Grilla, and the Spectre. And I know I screwed some of those pronunciations up. I apologize. New materials were also provided, which again provided new options for DMs. Finally, Dragonlance got the Spelljammer treatment. 
Crinspace, written by Jean Robb and released in 1993, covered the star system of Crin, which is the planet of the Dragonlance setting. Robb detailed the Sun, the planets Sirion, Ryorx, Chislev, Zivlin, and Nezmith, as well as the asteroids called the Star Islands and the Nebula, the Dark Clouds. Rob also included new materials for the DM to add to their campaign. However, they also added some new spell jammers themselves, which provided a new set of allies and or adversaries for the players. Now, we've actually got a review I wanted to put in for Crinspace. Paul Westermeyer reviewed it for the website Spelljammer Beyond the Moon. He didn't seem overly fond of it, noting that it didn't contain the same amount of interesting NPCs or locations than the other two releases. He added that it had, quote, no Dragonlance flavor or any real Spelljammer flavor, end quote. There's one more release for this edition that I wanted to cover, and it's the boxed set The Astramundi Cluster. Designed by Sam Witt, it was released in 1993. The Astromundi Cluster describes a unique crystal sphere made up of free-floating asteroids. The weak barriers of the sphere allows for free passage between the prime material plane and the inner planes, which means there could be a really weird and explosive mix of creatures. The Celestial Almanac takes advantage of this, listing dozens of new locales, while the Astrogator's Guide provides a ton of stats for new ships. The box also contains maps and cards for the setting, and while it wasn't intended to necessarily be the final release in the line, that's what it turned out to be. Rick Swan reviewed it for Dragon Magazine in March of 1994. While he hyped the set, he did have a couple of complaints. He ripped on what he called silly names, stating that, quote, they're more silly than sinister, like the mist-covered bodies called gasteroids and the shadowy lands known as the Grim Regions, end quote. He also noted that while there were 192 pages of material, quote, couldn't the designer have found room for at least one fully developed adventure, end quote. By the way, if you look at the fan sites online, that last point tends to be one of the biggest complaints about the box set as a whole. Spelljammer, as with most of the settings TSR released during its history, got more than just the supplement treatment. Between July of 1991 and September of 1993, six different novels based on Spelljammer were published. What made the line unique was that all six novels were interlinked. Called the Cloakmaster Cycle, they tell the tale of Teldon Moore, who was a farmer on Kryn, who has a magical cloak given to him. That cloak leads to a quest, which takes him first into wild space, then through the various spheres of the Spelljammer universe. I'd love to be able to tell you where you can buy the novels, but they are, unfortunately, out of print. I'd suggest you check with your local used bookstore if you have one, or with an online used book retailer if you are so inclined. Spelljammer also got a computer game. Spelljammer Pirates of Realm Space was published by SSI in 1992. However, the sales weren't as great as they were expected to be, so no other games in the line were ever produced. There were also 15 comic books published by DC Comics between September of 1990 and November of 1991. Barbara Kessel, Michael Collins, and Dan Panosian were the creative team. The comics utilized Jasmine, who is a winged human originally introduced in the Forgotten Realms line of comics, as one of the lead characters. TSR discontinued the Spelljammer line shortly before the company was acquired by Wizards of the Coast in 1997. When Wizards dropped 3rd edition in 2000, fans of the setting hoped that it would get the 3rd edition upgrade. However, it didn't get the full treatment. However, it did get a few nods in the new edition. Paizo Publishing touched on the system in the May 2002 issue of Dungeon Magazine. They dropped the article Spelljammer, Shadow of the Spider Moon. 
The article upgraded firearms and spell jamming to 3rd edition and introduced some skills, feats, and prestige classes for the system. However, classic spell jammer monsters like Niyogi and Gif weren't used. Instead, they brought in monster manual creatures like Drow and the Yon-Ti. The Niyogi would get their day in 3.5 edition, however. In May of 2005, Wizards upgraded them in the supplement Lords of Madness. The book had a chapter with a sample map of a crashed Spelljammer vessel. The Neogi were the monster provided, so their stats were upgraded to the new edition, and their cultural habits were detailed in that chapter as well. But like I said, that's all the love Spelljammer got in that edition of the game, at least in official form. I should note that fan forums online utilize the open game license to produce their own materials for Spelljammer, and they can still be found online to this day. Now, Spelljammer got even less love in 4th edition. All we got there was a bit of an homage, as the Manual of the Planes discussed Spelljammer ships as a method of travel between the planes. Since the ships are a listed option, rules had to be provided to use the vessels in the 4th edition system. Again, that was all for the official materials. Once again, the online community took advantage of the OGL to develop their own materials, which, again, you can still find online. After not being supported for two full editions of the game, Spelljammer has made a big-time reappearance in 5th edition. It started when some Spelljammer materials were included in Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage in 2018. A Spelljamming ship and the Illithid Captain of said ship appear on level 19 of the dungeon, so some rules and other materials were provided to run characters through this level of the dungeon. Next up, Wizards dropped the PDF Travelers of the Multiverse as part of the Unearthed Arcana playtest in October of 2021. Due to the fact the races Autonome, GIF, Hadozi, and Plasmoid were included with material, a lot of writers speculated that a full-on Spelljammer release would be on the horizon, since those four races are very closely associated with the Spelljammer setting. And those folks turned out to be right. Spelljammer did get its own setting release for 5th edition. Spelljammer Adventures in Space was released on August 16th, 2022. It's a boxed set consisting of three source books, The Astral Adventurer's Guide, The Light of Xarxas, and Boo's Astral Menagerie. It's also got a map and a DM screen. Chris Perkins was the lead designer for the project, but there were designers for each of the three books. The Astral Adventurer's Guide, which is the setting guide for the game, was written by Chris Perkins, Jeremy Crawford, and Ari Levitch. The Light of Xarxix, which is an adventure module, was written by Justice Raman Arman, Sadie Lowry, and Jeffrey Ludwig. Boo's Astral Menagerie, which acts as a bestiary of wild space and astral sea creatures, was written by Chris Perkins. Six new player races are introduced in this set, Astral Elf, Autonome, Hadozi, Plasmoid, and Thrykrian. Or Thrykrian. I never pronounce that right. Sixteen spell jamming ships are provided with stat blocks, and we get updated mechanics for spell jamming, air envelopes, gravity planes, the astral plane, and magic in 5th edition spell jammer. This set was created for use for characters from 5th to 8th levels, which tells me there's probably another release down the line that's coming. Of course, the set hadn't even been out for a full month before a bit of controversy cropped up. Several players and writers pointed out that the Hadazi, which are a primate-like creature, are portrayed in a manner that smacks of slavery, with some imagery and statements that would also lead to that assumption. Wizards of the Coast issued a full apology on September 2nd, 2022, and announced that the offensive material would be removed from all future printings of the books, and it would be removed immediately from the digital edition, and errata would be issued. There's already been a lot of support material released for this version. 
WizKids, which is a Wizards of the Coast licensee, has released 47 pre-painted miniatures tied to the Spelljammer setting, which makes them perfect to utilize in this campaign. D&D Beyond got further into the game as well with the release of Spelljammer Academy, which is an introductory module available on their service. It was designed to take characters from level 1 to level 5, which would prep them for the Light of Xarxix, which starts at level 5. And Spelljammer even has an official soundtrack. Spelljams for Spelljammer's Adventure in Space was digitally released on August 16th, 2022. Chris Funk, the guitarist for the Decemberists, produced the album, which features selections from a number of different bands, and all of the music was written specifically for this release. And with live play streams being as popular as they are, Spelljammer got one of its own. Legends of the Multiverse premiered on April 27th, 2022. With a cast of gaming celebrities, it's drawn high viewership and has proven to be popular not only with D&D fans, but gaming fans as a whole. Check it out on YouTube if you're interested. But I know what you're asking. What do the reviews look like? This is one of those very rare occasions that I can't seem to find a negative review, or at least not one from a writer that doesn't already seem to have an issue either with Wizards of the Coast or D&D itself. I decided to sift through and choose one for today's show. Chris DeHogue reviewed the set for CG Magazine. He gave the set a 9.5 out of 10 rating and praised the development team for splitting material over three books. He called it, quote, a wise move, end quote. He said of Boo's Astral Menagerie, quote, It has one of the most bizarre rosters of enemies to date. From more mundane threats like solar and lunar dragons, or combatant versions of the new playable races, up to space-garming variants of aquatic creatures, all the way to Lovecraftian horrors, end quote. Of the Light of Xarxis adventure, it was obvious that that impressed him the most. He said, quote, On one hand, there's more material in the setting guide than some recent books, which came as a pleasant surprise. On the other, I was still craving more background from Spelljammer Adventures in Space. It presents an excellent hub for your spacefaring adventures, from the Rock of Brawl, and enough inspiration for DMs to shape their own version of the Astral Realms to their campaigns. End quote. He concluded with, quote, All told, Spelljammer Adventures in Space passed the ultimate final test of any D&D product. When I put it down, I immediately reached out to my friends to rave about it and schedule our first foray into wild space, end quote. And of course, Spelljammer Adventures in Space is available at your friendly local neighborhood game shop. So if you're interested, drop in today and pick up a copy. All right. So with the history of the setting out there, let's get into describing the setting itself. Before we get into that, I do need to note that there have been some adjustments to the setting from second edition to present. And while I will note one of the biggest ones when I get to it, some of the smaller ones are not covered here, but veteran spell jammers will notice them as they read through the new materials. However, if you're a new spell jammer, those changes won't impact your enjoyment of the setting, and of that I can assure you. One of the cores of spell jamming technology is the space jamming helm. These are what allow for interplanetary and interstellar space travel for ships that normally would not be spaceworthy. Any spellcaster may sit on a spell jammer helm and be able to control the ship. Within the setting, the old and mysterious race known as the Arcane are the sole manufacturers and distributors of helms, and adventures over the years have frequently begun with groups needing to complete tasks for the Arcane in order to acquire a helm. A big question you might have about fantasy adventure in space is how does gravity and air work up there? And that's a good question. We know, thanks to our high school science classes, that all bodies of a sufficiently large enough size have gravity. Typically, this gravity exerts a force equal to the standard gravitational attraction on the surface of an Earth-side planetary body. The creators worked gravity in this setting in a very convenient manner, designing it to work in a way that 
down orients itself in a way that most humanoids find sensible, thus decreasing some confusion during what could be a very confusing adventure. Spelljammer is also designed for all bodies, regardless of size, carrying with them an envelope of air whenever they leave the surface of a planet or other stellar object. Now, here's where fantasy trumps reality. In the reality of science, the air envelope would disperse in the vacuum of space. Not in Spelljammer. In Spelljammer, the envelope remains around the ship, providing breathable air for a certain amount of time. The standard is considered to be three months, though time could vary one way or the other depending on the situation, or let's face it, based on the needs of the adventure. In the second edition release of Spelljammer, crystal spheres were a major part of the setting. A crystal sphere, also called a crystal ball, is a gigantic spherical shell which contains an entire planetary system. Now, each of these spheres varies in size, but typically they're twice the diameter of the orbit of the planet that is farthest from the sun or planet at the center of the sphere, which is considered to be the system's primary. The surface of a sphere is called the sphere wall, and it separates the void of wild space from the phlogiston. Don't sweat it, I'll cover those in a minute. The sphere wall has no gravity and appears to be impossible to damage by any normal or magical means. Openings in the sphere wall, called portals, allow for spell jamming ships or wild space creatures to pass through and enter or exit from a crystal sphere. Now, in 5th edition, the concept of crystal spheres has been replaced by the astral plane so that Spelljammer fits in better with the design and the layout of the 5th edition system. Okay, we mentioned them, so let's cover Wild Space and Phlogiston. Wild Space is first. Wild Space is similar to the outer space of science fiction, having planets, asteroids, and stars. However, the physics are different. Gravity either doesn't exist or is exactly the same as that of Earth and is directed towards the center of planet-sized bodies. On large objects in space like spacecraft, gravity is directed towards a flat plane running through the object's long axis, which allows characters to stand on the deck of a ship. The phlogiston is basically a large ocean of what is described as a unique element, as it's neither air, fire, water, or earth. The phlogiston is also known as the flow. It's a bright, extremely combustible gas-like medium that exists between crystal spheres. It does not exist inside crystal spheres and cannot be brought into them in any known way, shape, or form. Also, travel through the flow is greatly discouraged since it's highly dangerous, which of course means it's been tried at least once in a published adventure. Okay, so no show talking about the Spelljammer setting could be considered legit if it didn't cover the legendary ship that the setting gets its name from, the Spelljammer. The ship itself looks like a giant manta ray and it houses an entire city on its back. Everyone who makes their way through space on the regular has at least heard of the Spelljammer. However, it's a rare few who've actually seen it. As one would expect, the ship is where we get the names Spelljamming, Spelljamming Helms, and anything else we connect with the Spelljamming process. The Spelljammer is so legendary, even those who live on planets and don't really do anything space-involved have stories and legends about the ship. Now, one thing that needs to be noted is that the majority of the stories are nowhere near the same, which can confuse the hell out of a group that's new to spelljamming. And yes, I've played more than once with DMs who've used that to their advantage. The spelljammer is a living thing, which means it can procreate, which is an interesting process. The spelljammer has to get itself a captain, which it doesn't typically have. That process is really detailed and involved, so I'm not going to get into it here. But once it has one, it creates many versions of itself that go forth into space to do their thing. And there can only be one spelljammer at a time. 
Should it be destroyed or die, one of its offspring will mature into a full ship and take on its role. Pretty freaky, I know, but kind of fascinating if you think about it. Now, I've mentioned some of the races of Spelljammer during my historical breakdown, but that list was not complete. In addition to many of the standard D&D races, you could also find Beholders, Neogi, Gif, Drakens, Scrow, which are space-fearing orcs, Thrykeen, which are insectoids, and Tinker gnomes. The Illithid were also introduced in Spelljammer, but in this setting they were presented as more mercantile and less overtly evil. Throughout time in 2nd edition, more monsters were added as the various editions of the Monstrous Compendium were released. Spelljammer's varied setting, cool characters, and very different, for a fantasy setting anyway, ships and options have made it a seriously beloved setting for D&D. If you're interested in checking out the second edition of the game, it's available in PDF form from multiple sources, and you might be able to find a used version of it at a used game shop. And like I said, the fifth edition is available at game shops and bookstores near you right now. And with that, we come to the end of today's tour. Next week... Well, I haven't settled on a topic for next week. I'm kicking three different ideas around, and I'm seeing how the research process goes on them before I nail one down. So, you're going to have to catch next week's show to see what we're covering. But I can tell you what we're covering on this week's edition of Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along. Our group will be making their way to Salem, Oregon to see if they can nail down the traitorous Ed Stewart, a.k.a. The Undertaker. Also, we'll have the game recap from my group, and that tends to be its own brand of chaos and mayhem. Bad GM's Campaign Build-Along is available wherever you get your podcasts or at our website, badgmproductions.net. The music we use for this show comes from pixabay.com. Check them out for all your royalty-free, license-free music needs. Role-Playing History is a production of Bad GM Productions. Check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash gaming forward slash badgmprod. On Twitter at badgmp. YouTube, Bad GM Productions. You can email us badgmproductions at gmail.com. And online, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Our website is badgmproductions.net. Net. Okay, next week we'll cover another topic you've always wanted to know about, whether you realized it or not. But that's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis and your role-playing history. <laughs>